Welcome to Subject to Talent, brought to you by Allegis Global Solutions. Similar to you, we're always trying to learn more. On this podcast, we speak to talent experts around the world, covering workforce management, market trends, technology, and a forever evolving dynamic industry. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Subject to Talent. I'm your host, Frank Edge. April is Celebrate Diversity Month. So today, I'll be passing the microphone over to my colleague, Brooke Stovall. She's the Inclusion and Diversity Marketplace Manager for Allegis Global Solutions. Brooke has over 15 years of experience in the staffing industry, and in her current role, she partners with clients to develop inclusion and diversity roadmaps for their contingent workforce. She'll be leading a conversation around inclusion and diversity leadership with two of her peers in the space, Jasmine Guy and Franklin Reed. Jasmine Guy is the Diversity and Inclusion and Corporate Social Responsibility Program Manager for Major Lindsay and Africa, a premier global legal executive search firm, and Allegis Partners, a global executive search firm specialising in identifying diverse and top talent for human resources and senior executive level roles. Jasmine develops strategic initiatives and programs that support the organization's overall IND goals. Franklin Reed is the Executive Director of Inclusion and Diversity for Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. Franklin is the driving force behind Tech Systems' inclusion and diversity strategy. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Brooke Stovall, Inclusion and Diversity Marketplace Manager for Allegis Global Solutions, and I'm very excited today to lead the conversation on inclusion and diversity leadership on our Subjects to Talent podcast. April is Celebrate Diversity Month, so I've asked my peers from within the Allegis Group family of companies to join me in a discussion about how our roles as organizational leaders of inclusion and diversity, what we've experienced and learned, and where we're putting our focus in the months and years to come. Welcome, and thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Perfect. Today is going to be very conversational, where each of us will be sharing um, our shared experiences and thoughts on diversity. But first, something we like to start off all of our Subject to Talent podcast episodes is with learning how our guests got into the talent industry. Jasmine, would you be able to share with us how you came into the industry and also how you came into your current role leading inclusion and diversity? Sure. So I have a master's degree in human resources, and I took a very unconventional way into really getting into human resources because I entered into the profession during the economic downturn. And so I was blessed to work with a leader in human resources that allowed me to learn about the various different facets of human resources. And so because I got a chance to really understand how organizations work, really understanding how to communicate with leaders in the C-suite. It really prepared me for my current role. And so actually it's funny, I didn't even realize that people were able to get paid for advertising and working in diversity and inclusion. And it was one of my girlfriends who worked at a AmLaw 100 law firm who told me about opportunities um, such as this. And she says, you're doing such a great job helping me with some of the obstacles that I face at my own law firm. I think you will be great doing this professionally. And so that's actually how I joined in doing diversity and inclusion for law firms. Wow. What an interesting story. Franklin, how about you? Yeah, my, my story is a little different in that uh, I am an accidental salesperson. 
that uh, found my way to tech systems after working in sales for uh, a number of different companies. And I landed at tech systems as a technical recruiter. And so my entry into human capital management was this, you know, overlapping roles of uh, technology recruiting meets sales inside sales. And it was a perfect match for me because I love the idea of selling a service. I love the idea of connecting the people. And I love the idea of creating opportunity for individuals, um, and in this case, uh, employment opportunities. Uh, after spending some time as a technical recruiter, I moved into the sales side of our business, which involved business development and selling our services and capabilities to our customers. But I always maintained an orientation of wanting to do everything that I could to uh, ensure that tech systems was an environment for other individuals who came from similar backgrounds that I came from who looked like me. And so I was always involved in the recruiting efforts at, at local colleges, at community colleges, uh, at diverse organizations that we recruited from. And that created this, uh, this, this, this passion, if you will, around diversity and inclusion, although I didn't know what it was called at the time. And as we started to build out our intentional efforts around inclusion and diversity, we launched our employee resource groups. Now, at that time, I was 14 years into the company. I had seen a tremendous amount of success, but I was looking to have a different kind of impact. Also, I was still unsure if I had developed some of the skills that I knew I needed on my journey, such as leading by influence, uh, really communicating at some of the executive levels and what have you, and being a part of our employee resource group gave me that opportunity. And so it was my own personal development platform that put me you know, on the radar, if you will, with our uh, director of diversity and inclusion at the time. And as she began to build out the team, she began to open up additional roles for the team. Um, I saw it as my opportunity to pivot my career in this space. And I started as a national diversity recruiter and, uh, and now have the incredible privilege of leading the strategy for the organization, as well as an incredible team. Wow, what an awesome journey. That's very interesting. Um, I, I got into this space where I always say coming into staffing, you kind of fall into it. Um, no one ever really says I'm going to school to get into staffing or become a recruiter and somehow you find yourself um, in it. And that's and that's same thing happened to me. And I always had this um, play of wanting to see women succeed um, and I remember being at, you know, my past role before joining AGS. And I believe I started the unofficial women's ERG group and um, not knowing that that's what it was, but I just knew it was a necessary uh, space for women in the organization to come together and share our experiences. And I remember saying, hey, you know what, this this isn't enough. There has to be more. And going to uh, the president of the company and saying, we need more. We need something bigger. We need to have a full on inclusion and diversity initiative here at our company. And surprisingly, he said, you're absolutely right. And you're going to lead it and develop it. Um, and that's how I find myself um, in this space and now continue to to grow, um, taking on the marketplace side here with um, AGS. So it's been a very exciting journey over these over these years. So um, what has been interesting is we've all had different, you know, paths to getting into um, an inclusion and diversity. Um, and 
today I want to, you know, talk about um, what has been the experience of you as a leader um, in this space while dealing with the realities of being black in America? Um, Because I I know each of each of you and I know that you don't you do both identify as as black men and uh, black women. So what has been that experience by being a DEI practitioner and being black? Franklin, I guess you've been in this in this space for 20 plus years. So we'll start with you. You know, this is it's an interesting dichotomy of feelings doing this work uh, because I know for sure that I am affecting change in a positive way for people and for, you know, an organization. I know that I am doing extremely noble work, um, but I also know that I'm not just doing it for my partners at Tech Systems and at, at Allegis Group, but I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing this work for my girls, my two daughters. And so I have this tremendous amount of love and happiness and peace about this work. But it's also not lost on me that I'm doing this work for myself um, because I experience the impact of living in a a racialized society, um, a society that stigmatizes individuals based on features that they were born with, like, like, you know, more melatonin in their skin. Um, You know, so I I know for sure that uh, I was built for this kind of work. And the way I describe the work is, is I feel like I am shepherding people to become better. And so that's really how I describe sort of this space between the work and, um, and, and the realities of being black in America. Great, great question, though. <laughs> I like <laughs> I like that. The idea of shepherding people to be better. I like that. I might have to use that one, Franklin. <laughs> that's a great question. So I, I want to throw that question at you, Jasmine, as well. You know, what has it been like for you, you know, being a, a practitioner in this space, but also, you know, acknowledging that you, you you identify as a black woman, too? It has been tiring and mentally exhausting having to serve as a strategic business partner to leaders across the company and support them in reacting to the aftermath of incidences such as the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and unfortunately, the list goes on supporting and hearing the concerns of employee resource group members and well-intentioned allies, and dealing with everyday instances I experience of discrimination and injustice both inside and outside of the workplace. What makes me most exhausted and frustrated is seeing people finally waking up and realizing that systemic racism and injustice has been taking place for centuries. Yet because I am a leader, I must hold composure and help bring my colleagues along in their diversity, inclusion, and belonging journey by being patient, exercising empathy, compassion, educating them, providing them inclusion tools, and illustrating to them that they can ask me questions and engage in dialogue. The role of a diversity professional is rewarding when you see the company and colleagues make progress, yet draining when you also have to deal with external events yourself. Being a woman in corporate America comes with its fair share of challenges, often facing gender discrimination and bias in the workplace. But if you're a Black woman or a woman of color, these gender-based challenges are often compounded by obstacles of racism, making it even harder to navigate your way to the top. 
In the words of the great Malcolm X, the most disrespected person in America is the Black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the Black woman. The most neglected person in America is the Black woman. And unfortunately, even though Malcolm X said these words in the 1960s, they are still relevant today. And so when looking at the obstacles that Black women face at work, there are several different ways in which racism and sexism play out. One of the ways is in the form of microaggressions and insensitive comments made by peers that make Black women feel like outsiders. For example, I love wearing bright colors because it gives me and others around me energy and a smile. Yet often I hear comments from white colleagues such as, Black people surely love wearing bright colors. <laughs> it is offensive and it hurts. I felt like for a long time, I couldn't say anything in fear of being labeled as a stereotypical angry Black woman or accused of taking it the wrong way. So I remained silent until I advanced in my career and now I feel empowered to address these microaggressions and make them teachable moments for my colleagues. Unfortunately, at an early age, I silenced myself when it came to race and gender and it was at the expense of my own well-being. Brooke, as you can relate, it is an emotional tax in which Black women are always on guard to protect against bias, discrimination, and unfair treatment. Meditation, exercise, breathing exercises, good music, hot tea, remembering what my ancestors endured, and chatting with Black professionals like yourself is how I have survived. So thank you both for being instrumental to my survival. Brooke, is there anything that you would like to add? Jasmine, I feel like you took the words out of my mouth when <laughs> with with that because you're you're absolutely right. You know, the the work of this being a a practitioner and, you know, being a black woman is is done with great difficulty, you know, because it is a balancing act of navigating all of the different things that you mentioned, the microaggressions, the bias, the sexism, the racism, like all of that is that is real. So um, you couldn't have said it better. And I don't want to continue to belabor it. But Jasmine, you hit the nail right on the head with that. And, you know, we continue to you continue to do the work. And I think one of the things if there's an aspect for me, you know, personally, in my in my professional uh, side of this is is having to think about this from, you know, even a global lens, because the work of women in the workplace is it, not all the same. We don't all need the same thing as just women as a category. But when you think about what a black woman needs and then translating that globally, you know, and to my to my clients and to my colleagues, you know, what their needs are being considered of that. So it, it is a lot to have to think about, to handle and to try to deliver. Um, so. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with you there. Well, one of our responsibilities as diversity and inclusion professionals is to create a safe and inclusive workplace where our colleagues feel like they can be their true authentic selves. And I know recently there's just been this term that's been thrown around and it's been called allyship. And different people are starting to define what it means to be an ally. So Franklin, how do you involve allies in the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation in action? Great question. Uh, I first want to say I, I wrote down uh, 
meditation, good music, and hot tea. Yes. Uh, I am going to uh, try that uh, as soon as we're done here. (laughs) Thank you for that. So how do I involve allies into the DEI conversation? And I think you said that the the last word you use in that question and action is really um, the most important part of of this question. Um, First of all, uh, driving change for uh, communities and individuals whose voice may not um, be as prevalent or they may not have a seat at the table or their perspectives may not be represented um, to the degree that they need to when decisions are being made. Um, Having individuals who are in the room, who have the power, who have the equity, it is important that, that they recognize that that's what they have, but then that, that they're also, uh, they recognize the responsibility that they have to also leverage that access, leverage the power and leverage the equity to create a more equitable um, organization and a more equitable society. And so the way I have involved allies uh, at Tech Systems has been one to cast a vision that this work requires the involvement of every single individual. Um, And it's not just work to support, you know, obviously we identify as as black individuals, but this we're involved in supporting the work across difference, uh, which is a spectrum. And so it involves the, it involves everyone, you know, as as there's a scripture says, having their hands on the plow, if you will, um, and being involved in the work. But more importantly for me, the way that I have involved allies is to model it by engaging our leaders. Because if our leaders model what it means to be involved in the work, if our our most senior leaders are actually rolling up their sleeves and they're allowing themselves to, you know, be in what may be perceived an uncomfortable situation because the topic might be somewhat uh, sensitive or they're investing additional time, effort, and energy and resources to support a particular work. Um, The way that um, I've driven allyship is to ensure that they are at the forefront of modeling this behavior that we expect to show up and to be seen across the organization. Um, We launched an executive inclusion council that involves some of our most senior leaders and it's chaired by our president and myself. Um, it's a visible group of individuals, but then we also pull our, you know, leaders who aren't a part of this council, but leaders across the organization, and um, we're rolling out an expectation around accountability for them to be involved and to drive uh, the change in behaviors as well as the change in outcomes that we're looking for. And so, this is one of the, you know, principal ways that we are leveraging um, our allies. Something else that we're investigating is, you know, really getting clear about what what are the actions of our allies? What does it mean to be an ally? What does it mean to be in, you know, then we talk about the concept of even accomplices, but what does that mean and how does that show up in an organization on a consistent basis? And this is part of the conversation that we're we're having. So great comment, great, great question, uh, Jasmine. Um, I, I do want to boomerang this question back at you because I know that you all have also gone down a similar path and that you, you not only launched your 
DNI Council, and that's that's you know evolved into even the work around the allyship journey. Um, can you talk a little bit about what MLA is doing around allyship? Sure. So at Major Lindsay in Africa and Allegiance Partners, leaders committed to a five-year diversity, inclusion, and belonging strategic plan. And currently we are in year two of the implementation process. This requires continuous attention to all aspects of what it means to support everyone in being their true authentic self in the workplace. For us, we define allyship as an ongoing commitment that takes courage and, as you mentioned earlier, Franklin, action. Serving as an ally is a journey that requires us to check our privilege, lead with empathy, have a listening ear, be respectfully inquisitive, be an upstander, and be open to continuous learning, including receiving feedback from underrepresented employees. Allies create work cultures that attract and retain the best and the brightest employees. They commit to diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging in a meaningful and lasting way to support the advancement of underrepresented employees. To support well-intentioned colleagues prepared to become allies, we are implementing an Allies for Inclusion and Belonging initiative in Q2. Um, Our executive management team is working with our Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Leadership Council to roll out the initiative. It will include interactive training with scenarios, quick tips that will be both shared internally as well as externally, videos, resource guides, and like a TED Talk platform, we will have Inclusion Talk to name a few of the aspects to our initiative. And as you can hear in my voice, I am excited to embed this initiative in our firm culture and feel confident that this initiative will help each participant be seen as a better colleague, a better trusted client advisor, a better family member and friend, and overall a better global citizen. So if you want to follow us on our diversity, inclusion, and belonging journey um, starting in Q3, um, go ahead, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And we there will share with everyone what our diversity, inclusion, and belonging journey is, and particularly focusing in on allyship. I love that from both of you. Those are some amazing things that you all have going on at the companies and your personal views uh, on it. And very similar at, you know, AGS as well, like you said, Franklin, having the executive inclusion councils and, you know, having the leadership that are involved and very much a part of the messaging, cascading things down. And if there will be one point to ask overall and the idea um, of of allies and how do you bring them in and moving it forward is turning allies into advocates as well. You know, when they're actually, you know, putting forth risk for of, of their own selves for the sake of others, speaking up on behalf, like actually putting it all out there. And that's how you show solidarity. That's how you, you know, operate in bravery when you, you risk something of yourself for the sake of others. So really moving from just being an ally to actually being an advocate, you know, of underrepresented, you know, groups or populations within our company. So that's all amazing work that all of the companies are doing. So it makes it very exciting to be a part of the organization. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, with this job, we, as we've discussed there, we have certainly had our fair share of challenges that come along with doing this work, but there's also been a lot of opportunity. And I, you know, I want to talk about 
what keeps me going, what, you know, keeps me excited about this work. And one of the most proudest moments that I've experienced so far in my, you know, career doing this work is I remember being one of the featured speakers at a company summit event to talk about um, our IND initiatives and goals for the upcoming year. And I remember after stepping off stage and um, during one of the breaks, a young black woman came up to me and, you know, she just mentioned how, proud she was to see someone that looked like her up on stage speaking at a company, you know, event. And that's me and, you know, my natural hair, my black, you know, my bright colors, Jasmine, as you mentioned, like just truly be myself up on stage um, speaking at our company event. And it gave her optimism that she can continue to strive to achieve all the goals that she had for herself. And that really solidified when we talk about representation, like it matters. She saw someone that looked Looked like her <laughs> up on the stage for the company speaking. And she thought that could be me one day too. So that was definitely one of my proudest moments that I've had that keeps me going. This is, this work is important and we have to keep pushing forward even through the challenges. I'm interested to know, you know, Jasmine, what about you? What has been one of the most proudest moments you've had in this work? So supporting employee resource groups mature and their development process is one of my proudest moments as a DEI practitioner. It brings a smile to my face when I can help them develop business goals and work together to implement them. At this point, these groups are seen as a business ad who can help reshape the company culture and take us further on our journey to inclusion and belonging. So they're no longer seen as the, the group of Black people all getting together or the group of LGBTQ individuals all getting together or all the parents wanting to get together. But now they're being seen as these are actual innovation teams getting together to help leadership think about ways in which we can be more inclusive. And so now that we're getting out of the mindset of just seeing these as just little social groups, and now they're actually being seen as business partners, that simply excites me. I could not agree more. Absolutely. Franklin, what about you? I'm pretty sure you've had some uh, mighty moments in your in your 20 year time span of your career in this space. But what's been the proudest? Yeah. So it's going to sound simple. I actually was thinking about this and there's maybe two things. Um, if I had to just boil it down to, you know, the, the, the two things that really, really make me smile um, and, and probably the two things that I would default um, when I talk to people about my job. Uh, first of all, let me just say, I absolutely love, love, love what I do. Um, and so seeing the outcomes of what I do and the change and the embrace of people is is really the, the thing that I'm most proud of. Um, you know, seeing people starting to value difference when I'm not in the room, you know, or hearing stories of people feeling seen, feeling heard, supported. And it didn't require me prompting or someone on my team prompting or a known ally or champion prompting the individual to do that. To me, that is, um, you know, that's one of my most proudest moments. The, the other thing that I'm really proud of is our ability as an organization to align our business objectives with our CSR efforts, you know, where historically, you know, our CSR efforts have been you know, we, we provide resources and donations and, 
and our time and support of organizations throughout the community. And that is absolutely critical. And we're still doing that. But one of the things that we did in, you know, several years ago in partnership with our vice president of HR, Faith Johnson, is the two of us came together where we brought not just our CSR efforts, which she leads, but we brought together our inclusion and diversity efforts, which I lead. And we were intentional about creating opportunity uh, for technology careers for individuals who are underrepresented in this space and, and, and within communities that are often overlooked. And in doing that, we also recognize that not only are we creating this you know, equity of opportunity, but we're also creating this equity of, of income um, as individuals find their way into some of our partners like a Prescolis or creating IT futures, they obtain technology skills, and then we come alongside them to help them find meaningful and long-term employment. We're changing not just that family, but we're changing the next generation of that family. And then we know we're changing that community because those the, the income and the dollars are going back to the community. And so we know we're impacting the community. And so that convergence, if you will, of our CSR efforts and our business uh, objectives along with um, diversity, equity, and inclusion to me is absolutely remarkable and powerful and really, really excites me. I love that. It's it's so much bigger than us and it's withstanding. Like we, the, the efforts and things that you're doing now or have experienced now will have a lasting impact way beyond us. And so I, I, I agree. I love that. And that's why we do the work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With good music and hot tea. And don't forget meditation. And don't forget the meditation. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that we are all optimistic individuals because to be a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional, you have to be optimistic. You have to see the best in people. And I think that our work when we see that our work is really helping people, it excites us. So Brooke, I'm wondering, where are you most excited about for 2021? Yes, I, I'm on a, a new journey um, in the IND space for 2021, which is strategizing and helping our clients integrate an IND strategy for their contingent labor force. Um, it's, it's a new move, something new and exciting, and I cannot be more proud to be able to take my clients on this journey um, to know and recognize that not only for your internal business is having strong IND goals and initiatives important for you as a company, but also that contingent labor force piece. So that is what I'm most excited about implementing and integrating new strategies for them. Sounds great. I'm excited for you. <laughs> yes, I'll keep you updated on how that's going. Perfect. Well, as we come to an end um, on our podcast today, I don't want to leave without us getting some insider information on our guests and myself as well. So it's always fun to get some insight onto what you have going on in, in your world. And so I've got a couple of questions that I just want to throw out that will help our listeners get to know us a little bit more um, on an intimate level, because we're always talking about being inclusive. So all those things that help us get through our day and just navigate um, our space. So I'm going to start with you, Franklin. What podcast are you listening to right now? 
Oh, that's an easy one. And, and I've got a lot that I listen to, but I rarely ever miss an episode of NPR's Code Switch. Jasmine, what about you? I am listening to three podcasts right now regularly. I am listening to I Choose the Ladder. I am choose, listening to my Morehouse Brothers podcast, uh, Bakari Sellers Viewpoint. And then I'm also listening to Don Lemon's Silence is Not an Option. Oh, those are good. I'm going to have to check out the the one by your Morehouse brother. My husband's a Morehouse graduate, so oh. I, I better get on it. <laughs> I better get on it. <laughs> right now I'm listening to um, Urban Girl Corporate World, which is in its uh, third season. And it's a, a podcast that celebrates the triumphs of modern professionals navigating corporate spaces and entrepreneurship. And um, it's uh, one of my friends very close to me. So I'm always excited about uh, supporting her. And it's it's a great, it's a great show. So definitely catch that when you can. Will do. All right. Next question. Are we ready? Ready. Okay. Jasmine, I'll start with you this time. What book are you reading? What books am I reading and rereading? <laughs> so that's, that's important. So I am rereading How to Be an Anti-Racist. And one of my former colleagues let me know that there is a companion that goes along with it. That's a workbook journal, which is like awesome. So now I have a companion as I'm rereading it. And then I'm also rereading how to be an inclusive leader. So now that I'm rolling out this ally program, it's like, okay, let me go back and read some of what Jennifer Brown is providing on how to be an inclusive leader. I love those. Those are both excellent books. Franklin, what's on your bookshelf that you're pulling down? So I am like Jasmine, except I always have like four or five books going. Absolutely. So uh, I am currently reading um, <laughs> Renovating Culture. Um, we're involved in some some pretty significant change efforts. And it's a book that is providing some insight for us um, as leaders within the organization. So I'm reading that. Um, but I keep reinventing diversity by Howard Ross on my desk because I constantly refer to that book and the work that I'm doing as a reminder to not be so myopic in how I go about doing this work to um, just think outside the box. And so it's a fantastic book on on driving change through the lens of inclusion, equity and diversity. Perfect. I like those. Um, right now, I am, again, rereading the memo. Um, I am in the process of reading um, Allies and Advocates, uh, Creating an Inclusive and Equitable Culture. And then I also have the first 90 days, you know, being uh, fairly new to my current role. It is so important that I, I'm, I get up and running very quickly. The, the clients can't wait and this work keeps moving. So I'm always looking for ways to be more strategic in my efforts and in my days. So that's that's a book that I'm reading now as well. And then last but not least, the question that I have for you all, and I know we've had a very different 2020 that none of us could have expected. So when the world fully opens back up, what's going to be the first vacation spot you look forward to going to the most? Franklin? Costa Rica. Oh, you were ready. <laughs> I was ready because I am ready. Zip lining. My wife and I, we were planning to go to Italy for her birthday last year that we didn't get a chance to go to. So that is uh, number two on the list as well. Oh, my goodness. I had to cancel a trip to Italy, too, for my five year anniversary. So that is number one on my list. So we all have something have in common because in. I, too, had to cancel a trip to Italy. And I was now missing like the great wine and the shopping. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize we all had that in common. Yes. 
<laughs> so maybe we'll have to plan a group trip. We'll all go together. <laughs> and it can be a DNI, you know, meeting conference. I love it. Yes. I love that. I love that. And then we can have the so, tea together and we can meditate together. Oh, on the sunset. I can't on wait. On the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, I want to thank each of you, Franklin and Jasmine, for joining us today um, and sharing your experiences and expertise with our audience on diversity and inclusion and leadership. It has been very insightful, very enjoyable. And uh, I look forward to all the great things that you both will be doing in, in your company for the year. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Great. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us today. A special thank you to Jasmine, Franklin and Brooke for sharing their experiences as inclusion and diversity leaders and the impact that open conversations and intentional actions around inclusion and diversity is having on their organisations. If you'd like to learn more about Allegis Global Solutions, please check us out at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. If you have any questions, feel free to tweet us at Allegis Global with the hashtag subject to talent. Also, you can email us at subjecttotalent at allegisglobalsolutions.com. If you enjoyed our podcast today, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.